Bibles, if you would, to the very end of Luke. Excuse me, not Luke. Luke wrote this. Book of Acts. Luke's Book of Acts. Chapter 2, we're going to look at the very end of chapter 2, and we're going to finish the chapter today. We're going to start chapter 3 tomorrow. How to have real friends, how to have intimacy, how to connect with other people. We're going to talk about that. There was a book written recently called Bowling Alone. How North Americans especially have a hard time connecting with other people. Now, I'm not saying that's you not saying that's me, but intimacy is not one of the strengths of our culture. We're really good at moon rockets, we're really good at cell phones, we're good at a bunch of things, but intimacy is not something which we North Americans are known for in general around the world. So we're going to talk about intimacy today. We're also going to talk about communion, and those of you just joining us online, do get some uh, uh, your bread and a cup ready for communion because that's going to tie into the whole blood thing. And blood is quite a mystery, but the Lord's going to reveal some stuff today about that. So how to have real friends, how to have intimacy with God, with others, and what's this blood of Jesus stuff all about? Acts chapter 2 is the biggest conversion story in the New Testament. Now conversion, we think of people going from unbelief to belief. But this conversion is not so much about that. This conversion is the Holy Spirit falling on a crowd of people in an urban setting, in an ugly, surly urban setting in the Middle East. Who here has seen on TV an ugly, surly Middle Eastern picture of people getting kind of worked up? You know, the whole thing's kind of uh, escalating. The crowd thing is kicking in, and the Holy Spirit falls, and a bunch of people in this crowd are making fun of them, saying they're drunk. And Peter says, no, they're not drunk. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is touching them in a big way. And then he tells them, by the way, you guys killed the Messiah, which ups the heat level in the, in the whole thing. And he says, basically, your problem is you're with the wrong people because we're affected by the crowd we're in. He says, save yourself from this wicked generation, this group you're in, because we take on the thinking of the people we're around. We talked about this last week, how you're roughly as wealthy as the five people you hang around with the most. You're roughly as fit as the five people you hang around with the most. You're likely roughly as responsible as the five people you hang around with the most. Because the people around us affect us in a big way because we have what's called neuroplasticity. Our minds are changing all the time. And the people or the thing that has the most effect on us is those people who influence us. And Peter's saying to them, you guys are in with the wrong group. You guys are in with the Crucify Him group. And I want to show you that you need to be transformed into a new community. So the transformation of the book of Acts is Holy Spirit driven, but it's urging people to shift who influences them. And they create a new community. And we're going to talk about that today. And how that new community is based on a kind of intimacy which is impossible without the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. This new community is based on a kind of intimacy which is impossible without the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to show you why that is the case. So let's look at Acts 2, chapter 42. You can look on a Bible. There's Bibles in the seats. There's also on your phones, tablets, whatever you happen to have with you. Acts 2, 42. So, 3,000 people in the big crowd, probably a minority because it was a big crowd, but a minority of people were baptized got filled with the Spirit and decided to form a new community based on this experience they had of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, having an experience of the Holy Spirit is like a collision. You have an experience with the Holy Spirit, and it's not one of those things which you can control. It's not one of those things that you're in charge of. It all is based on not whether you strive for it or not, but whether or not you're receptive. Your spirit has to dilate. Your first birth, when you were born, your mother dilated. And you dilate to a certain level, the first birth happens. We call the second birth, being born again, it's a dilation, so we're open to a, the, the forces from above the Holy Spirit. We have to be receptive. The whole key to Judeo-Christian spirituality is receptivity. That's the main thing. It's not about earning anything. There's a phone up here, I think, that someone might have left. <laughs> so if somebody could grab that and put it away, that would be nice. Receptivity is the key to everything because it all comes straight down from God. God is broadcasting 24-7 to us. And the question is... It's always a band. <laughs> <laughs> Music people, I'll tell you. So, it's about receptivity and the Holy Spirit. And all the believers, these are new believers... There was no Christian church before Acts 2. Acts 2 is the birthday of the Christian church because the church is spirit-led community. Paul goes all over the Roman Empire and he basically shows up in town. He lays hands on people and he asks the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit comes. They don't have altar calls. They have spirit fillings. And the Holy Spirit collides with people. Literally, these are, these are collisions. And it's such a transformative experience when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us that we can't go back to who we were before. It's like a tattoo. And they say, let's form a community around this experience of the Holy Spirit. So, all the believers, brand new believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Those are the four pillars of the early church's activity. The apostles' teaching, teaching of Jesus, the teaching of the kingdom. This had not been written down yet in the New Testament. There was no New Testament at Pentecost. So their teaching was coming directly from the eyewitnesses themselves. This is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus did. Fellowship. And the word for fellowship here is koinonia, which means having things in common. Sharing deep fellowship, intimacy. And we're going to talk about intimacy in just a moment. I don't think there's a person in this room who wouldn't like better relationships and closer relationships and the ability to connect with people at a deeper level. And I'm going to give you the secret for that today, if you'd like to listen for that. The breaking of bread. Kim mentioned to me, saying, uh, we should have communion today. I thought, yes, we should, because we're talking about table fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer, praying together. The Apostles' teaching fellowship, koinonia, breaking bread, and prayer. This is what they devoted themselves to. This, this is the baby picture of the church. Who here is the oldest child in your family? Okay, you guys have lots of pictures taken of you. Who here is the baby of the family? Okay, it's hard to find a picture of you uh, growing up because by that time parents got tired of taking pictures. Who's the, who's the neglected middle children who have to make peace with everybody else? It's one of those people. <laughs> These are the baby pictures of the church. And from what we can tell, these are the four things the church focused on. Church is not 
remote work. Church is community work. Now you can do community remotely. What I'm saying is it's interactive, it's communal. And this is the way the church got started. A deep sense of awe and fear, phobos is the word, fear. You have a phobia, that means you are afraid of something. Came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. There's that koinonia again. Sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Now, some people have said, well, Christians should do this then. Now, here's a challenge. I want you to really work with me on this one. There's two things in the Bible. There's description and prescription. Prescription is when God tells us to do something. When Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, that's prescription. When the Bible says, feed the hungry, that's prescription. When the Bible says, reach the lost, that's prescription. That's a command to go do something. When the Bible says, do not fear, that's a command. Don't be afraid. Probably the most common prescription in the Bible is do not be afraid. Description is describing what people are doing. Jesus went to Capernaum. The Israelites wandered in the wilderness. They did this, they did that. Description is not necessarily prescription. And what we don't know is whether this verse is description or prescription. It's just nobody says we have to do this. Jesus doesn't command us to sell everything we have and, and have it in common. This is description. Now, description can be a good example sometimes. Who thinks we should share more in our culture? That's, that's a good thing. But it's not saying that to be a good Christian, you have to sell everything and pool it. If you want to talk about financial wisdom, talk to Stan, talk to John, talk to people who are professionals in finance, and they will walk you through what good biblical financial stuff is. And also, you'll notice it's voluntary not coercive. Nobody's telling them they have to do this. Here's the problem with government. Government is the coercion business. If you don't do it, we'll put you in an iron cage. That's pretty much how government works. Now, we need some government, otherwise we'd have chaos. But government tends to tell us what to do, and there's a coercive factor. People say, oh, Jesus was a socialist. Uh, no, Jesus wasn't a socialist. Did Jesus ever outsource charity to Caesar? Did Jesus ever outsource charity to... Did, did Moses say, let Pharaoh take care of the hungry? Did they say, well, Herod should be in charge. Let's coercively give to Herod and he'll take care of everything. No, doesn't do that. These things need to be voluntary. If they're not voluntary, they're not virtuous. It's not virtuous to have to give to the poor. It's virtuous if you love the poor and give to the poor. Do you understand the difference between coercion and voluntary action? This country was supposed to be a voluntary society. And somehow we've become the most regulated society on the face of the earth. The U.S. Code is probably as big as this room. There's just so many volumes of it. What kind of pickle can be called a, a jumbo pickle and what kind of pickle can't be called? I'm serious, that's in there. You can't call it a jumbo pickle unless it's this big. You know, that kind of thing. That's coercion. If you do it wrong, you get fined. That's, that's the coercive thing. The church is a prototype for this kind of society God wants in the world, which is voluntary. I don't ask to see your income statements and say you must tithe. I encourage you to tithe because giving and being generous is 
an amazing step towards abundance. It just works. And when we do it voluntarily, there's joy in it. If you do it coercively, it takes out, it takes the fun out of it. Some of you really like giving. And it would be no fun if it was a tax. Tax compared to giving, do you understand the difference in joy? Who here just feels joy in paying your taxes? So I'm so glad I get to decide where that goes. John. John, John is an accountant, and he knows what happens to if you don't pay your taxes. So he'd be glad to help you with that, to make sure that uh, Big Brother does not put you in a cage. They worshiped together, verse 46, in the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Sounds like a fun party. I want to hang around with these people. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Deeply relational stuff. Now, relational stuff is dangerous. It's a minefield. You want to go deep with someone, there will be blood. There will be some challenges. If you want to have a superficial relationship with someone, there probably won't be a lot of problems. Everybody needs a few superficial friends. Who's got some fun friends that you don't go deep with? It's just fun to be around. I mean, you need some of those people. We also need people that we go deep with that we, we allow them to know us at a deeper level. We really can't be happy as people without those kinds of things. We, the word familiar comes from the word family. It's things, people you're familiar with. People that have refriger refrigerator rights in your house. People can walk right in and just take stuff out of the refrigerator and make a sandwich without having to ask you. There, there needs to be people like that in your life, whether they're family members or close friends. People who get close to you and you get close to them. And we're going to talk about why this doesn't work for most of us, how it can work better. The challenges that a lot of us put on masks and social media has amped this up a lot because people project a persona into the world and once in a while they share things that are negative and we think well that's not appropriate but in a way I wish people did more of that if we were a little bit more transparent appropriately transparent I think that we could get closer to each other but a lot of these shiny happy faces we see online are just masks that people put on to show you how good they are at certain things. And nowhere is that more apparent than Southern California. Southern California is the world center of putting on a face. Now there's a healthy form of that and there's an unhealthy form of that. Shauna over here helps people look better and she does a great job of it. That's healthy. She's a cosmetologist. Who thinks that can go across the line, though, to present a false picture of who you are? And we can easily cross that line, and then we start to project something which we're not, rather than the best of what we are, and that's what Shauna does. But I'm just saying, you can, you can cross. Who thinks it's possible to have Michael Jackson like too many surgeries? And things can get ugly and weird at a certain point. He was a person deeply out of touch with himself and very unhappy in a lot of ways. As are a lot of famous people because you get famous and people demand that you have that persona and they don't really want to know who you are. They want, they want the persona. Elvis was messed up. Michael Jackson was messed up. God forbid any of us become famous. It's not a good thing. It's good to be able to go to 
Walmart and look at fishing lures with nobody bothering you. I mean, it's, there's, there's just something good about that. So let's look at intimacy and what keeps us from those things. Well, it's this. We're going to look at this for a good long time. That iceberg is you. The stuff on top of the water, above the water line, is the stuff that you are conscious of and that you try to show other people. Most of you is below the water line. The Bible tells us this. Psychoanalysis tells us this. Depth psychology tells us this. Freud was the first secular person who says, yeah, there's a lot more under the water line than there is above the water line. Your subconscious, unconscious mind is way smarter than your conscious mind. It's solving problems right now while you sit here, and you're not aware of it. It's working out all kinds of issues, social negotiation, things you have to do. It's regulating your blood pressure. It's regulating your hormonal levels. It's doing all kinds of things, and you don't even know it. And once in a while, you have a dream, and boom, there's your unconscious level. You think, there is a lot of stuff going on down there. I'm a ski instructor in so many of my dreams. I've never been a ski instructor, but it just keeps coming back. I'm, I'm leading people. And in my skiing, in my dreams, you can go uphill or downhill just as easily. You just keep going, and there's rocks all over the place, and I'm helping people. At, that's your unconscious mind, and it's at work right now. And it's the biggest part of you. The Hebrews called that the nefesh, the soul, the ruach, the spirit. And you're not aware of your spirit. Your spirit is not your conscious self. When you get filled with the spirit, it's a trans-intellectual experience. It's above an intellectual experience. You're, it's a form of awareness which is not like you're listening to me right now or not, whatever you're doing. It's not like that at all. Your spirit is not a conscious part of you, but it's the biggest part of you, the depth part of you. We've got... Um, Daryl over here has, in his subconscious mind, he's got a DJ that plays music all the time. <laughs> music but it's good music too, because he like, and I like the same music, it's basically classic rock and stuff from the 70s, but it's going kind of all the time. That's part of his subconscious mind. He doesn't at, get up in the morning and say, play this, play that, it just goes. There's stuff floating around. My wife has a busy brain. I'm so glad I don't. Sometimes my brain's just like blank, and I just love it. But uh, Wendy's is going all the time. And she's not asking for those thoughts to pop up. They just keep coming. I would be exhausted if I had my wife's brain. I don't know how women do that. It's just this whole kind of thing going on. So there's a lot happening underneath. What happened at Pentecost? People got filled with the Spirit. They had an experience of their whole selves. They experience their whole iceberg, the whole thing, and you get a picture. The Germans have a phrase, die Seele ist ein weites Land. The soul is a broad landscape. It's a big place, and you're never going to figure it all out. I just got to get my act together. You never will. Never going to. You can arrange certain things in your life better, but you will never master your soul. You will never be able to direct your dreams you'll never be able to fully understand what's under the waterline. A lot of it's good, some of it not so good. Some of, there's some broken bad sectors down there. There's some scars from abuse and failure. We've all got those. We've got stuff floating around down there. And when you have an experience of the Holy Spirit, the whole iceberg lights up. And you realize, 
you're complicated. You also realize when the Holy Spirit touches you that God loves the whole iceberg. God loves every bit of you. God's working on the whole thing. God's working on everybody whether they know him or not. God's at work in every human being because every human being is made in his image. And he's working on us. And it's really deep stuff. And when you realize, when you get filled with the Spirit, you sense God's love for you that is unconditional. We call that grace. You sense that in a big way and only when the whole iceberg lights up and only when you realize that God's love for you is unconditional, only when that happens will you be able to love yourself and accept the processes that are going on and work with God to continue to upgrade the iceberg. And that's a lifelong process. And to have grace with yourself. Who's heard the phrase, you're the your own worst enemy or just your own worst critic. It's putting that away and working with God to bring out the best of what's down there and over time to heal the broken parts. And he does that with you because you're, you can't do it yourself because it's too complicated. You will never figure yourself out. You've got to have grace with yourself. And when you have grace with yourself, you can start to love yourself. And guess what? you start to realize that other people are icebergs too. And that part that you see in the top is just a part of what's going on. And if you start to have grace with yourself, you start to realize you can have grace with other people. Is there anything better? This is what I hope people will say. I haven't gotten there yet, but I hope people will say at my funeral, and most of you are younger than me, so most of you will probably be there. I hope you're still hanging out with me. I hope someone will say he was really gracious with himself and with other people. That's the best compliment you can ever give somebody. Because gracious people can have intimacy with other people. They can say, I've got a complicated iceberg and so do you. Let's connect at a deeper level. And you know what? You can connect deeper with people who've also been lit up with the Holy Spirit. Because they're going to be gracious too. And that's why the minute these people got converted, all of a sudden, what grew out of it? This amazing community called the church. The church is a community committed to spirit-filled intimacy. And guess what? When you feel that, guess who else you can have intimacy with? With God. The worst thing you can do is hide the bad stuff from God, tell him the good stuff like you're a Facebook page or something, and pretend the other stuff isn't there. Who thinks you can make a lot of progress with God if you let him well, he's going to see it anyways, but do you open up your whole iceberg to what he's doing? Say, Lord, I've got issues. I've got strengths. There's part of me I don't understand. Help me to understand these things. Help me to grow. Help me to become better as a person. Help me to become more loving. Here's the secret. To love others and love your neighbor is the top of the commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And you can only do that if you're gracious with yourself. And you can only be gracious with yourself if you felt the love of God in your soul. And if you felt the love of God in your soul, you can be gracious with other people and you can cut them some slack. And if you can't cut people slack, you can't get close to them. You're not in love with that person. You're just in love with who that person could be. There's a great parable in the Bible, the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And... Uh, 
basically it's a farm story where there's wheat out there and an enemy came in and put a bunch of weeds in there and the disciples ask, should we go out and rip out the weeds? He says, no, then you'll rip out some of the best wheat with it. Let God do the process. Some of you are very assertive. Some of your friends might call it stubborn. You pull out those weeds and away would go your assertiveness. We have to work that out gently with God over time. That's what prayer, they devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer is all about opening up the whole self to, to the Lord saying, Let, what are you going to work on today? Where are we going to go today? What are you going to work? How am I going to grow spiritually today? And how can I get closer to other people? And the secret to getting closer to other people is to be as gracious with them as you can be with yourself. And to say, you know, I am complicated. I'm never going to figure out myself. I'm never going to figure out that other person either. But you know what? Because of that, because we know God loves us, we can love each other. Who here has gracious relationships with imperfect people? If you've raised kids, you've been there. If you've been married, you've been there. If you're, it, 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 that's called, people say, well, we have irreconcilable differences. People, you have irreconcilable differences with everyone in your life. Question is, are you going to be gracious about that or not? Are you going to be able to say, yeah, you're a complicated person. You don't understand yourself. I don't understand myself. Maybe with God's help, we can grow together and we can get somewhere. Understand what I'm saying about intimacy here? And why that spontaneously emerged right after they got filled with the Spirit? Because they had this shared experience of lighting up the whole thing. Practicalities. Love the parts of yourself you will never, never understand. And the best thing you can say about yourself is it's complicated. I love theologians who fight over, is human nature basically virtuous or evil? And some theologians say, we are totally depraved. Well, that's just stupid. We're not totally depraved. We've got depraved parts of us, but uh, a lot of us is pretty good. A lot of us like people. A lot of us really want the best for people. We're complicated. We just are. To be able to understand that about ourselves gives God a chance to start working on you. I'm complicated, God. Help me out. You don't have to understand yourself to have God work on you. Just let him work on you. Number two, don't put simple labels on yourself or the other person. There is no label that works for any one person. I've never met a conservative that didn't have liberal tendencies, and I've never met a liberal that didn't have some conservative tendencies. We're complicated. There is no one label that, that fits any one person. Beware of labels. And we're in a label-happy culture. People are labeling themselves uh, sexually, labeling themselves politically, labeling, I'm just this. Well, no, you're not. You're, you're complicated. And we all are. Let's be honest about that. Don't put simple labels on yourself. And guess what? You don't get to just put a label on yourself. You've got to work that out with other people. Our dear friend Phil is in surgery right now. How much do you want to bet the doctor actually has a diploma of some kind? You can't just say, I'm going to be a surgeon today. I'm going to identify as a surgeon. I'm going to go do that. I'm going to start cutting people up. You can't, you can't do that. You've got to negotiate that with people around you. You can't just say, I'm this, I'm that. You, you, you've got to kind of work that out with people. You can't just go up to a good-looking girl, if you're a guy, and say, we're married now. No, you've got to negotiate that with her. You know, you could tell her who you are. You gotta, it's, it's one of those things that calls for a rather complex negotiation. Your identity is negotiated in society. You can't just say, I'm this, I'm that. Well, you can try, but you've got to prove that to people. Let the Spirit touch the whole iceberg. 
Let the Spirit touch all of you. Be as receptive as you can to those parts of yourself that you don't fully understand. Cultivate graciousness towards yourself and towards others. You can't be intimate with anyone if you're not gracious with yourself and with others. If you're hard on yourself, you will never have intimate friendships because you can't be gracious enough with yourself to let the whole self be friends with someone else. Build on what God has done in your life. Don't let the devil make you strive for a simplistic, out-of-touch ideal. Striving won't get you improved, but letting the Holy Spirit work on the whole self will. And it's a lifelong process. The fancy theological word is sanctification. It happens over a long period of time, but we have to be open to it. Where's God going to take you today? I'm going to invite the worship team up. And this is going to be continued in Acts 3. Next week we're going to talk about faith healing, which is a very touchy topic. But we're also going to talk in a moment, I want you to prepare your hearts for communion while they're singing. And here's what I want to say about communion. At the community, community night last night, I had a fascinating conversation with Ed from Inglewood. Never met Ed from Inglewood before. And Ed had an insight about the blood of Jesus that I'd never thought of. And he was almost in tears sharing it with me. Young guy, sharp guy. And he says, I, he says, I just need to talk to someone about this. I just had this insight. And I said, oh, I says, look at the people of Israel. He said, they were sacrificing animals. And the blood of those animals, they thought of as not just physical but spiritual. They were releasing that blood into the spiritual realm to do some good spiritually in their lives. It's okay. I guess so. He says, but look at Jesus. Jesus was conceived by a virgin and the Holy Spirit had perfect blood. Spiritual blood. And his spilling of that blood on the cross was released into the spiritual realm. It's still there and available to us and it brings healing to us. I thought, how cool is that? People, the blood of Jesus is available to all of us. We Americans think of blood as just this, you know, this chemical thing that floats around, but most cultures see blood as also very spiritual. The Bible says the life is in the blood. We even say the word lifeblood, don't we? There's something, up. your heart is way more than a pump, by the way. Do you know that you're within three or four feet of another person, your heart will pick up electronically, electrically, on the heartbeat of the other person. That's why hugs are so important. Your heart has more electrical activity than your brain. There's a lot going on in there, not just a pump. Same with the blood. In communion, Jesus says, this is my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Perfect blood available for all of us. And we can drink that, the blood of Christ, and let that soak down into the whole self. Over and over, week by week, we believe that has some effect on us. So I just want to invite you to think about the blood of Jesus while we are singing. Think about Ed from Inglewood's insight. And think about how we might be receptive to all that the blood of Jesus has for us. I have never thought about the blood of Jesus in my life until last night much. 
I mean, I accepted what the Bible says, but it didn't mean anything. And I look at that and think, wow, Jesus' blood was released on the cross permanently into the spiritual realm to make a spiritual difference for all of us, and we all have access to it. So let's be ready for that today. Think about what the blood of Jesus might do for you. Ask the Lord what you need that to do for you today. Let's sing.
background mask stand. And Tamara, uh, if you guys will come up, please, and uh, help with communion. And one of them is going to say, this is the body of Christ. The other one is going to say, this is the blood of Christ. You may never have taken communion before. This table is open to everybody who's accepted. It's open to what the Lord has for us. As I've gotten older, I have what I call rotating soreness. And I, I have sore somewhere all the time. It just moves. And it's my right hip, it's my left knee, it's my right shoulder. And it's never all three at once, but it just kind of moves around. Today it's my right hip. And I'll take it and leave, and about 20 minutes into it, it goes away. And a few hours later, it comes back. The great thing about the blood of Jesus. This is perfect blood, folks. If we're receptive and we drink this blood, it starts to kick in and never stops. So what I'd like you to do is to think about that one sore place in your life that's really bugging you. A place where it just needs to be and you want it to, you want the blood to touch that place and never stop working. Jesus gave us perfect blood. And this is not just a memorial meal. Jesus shows up, and if you don't believe that, you haven't been taking communion very long, because he tends to surprise me when I take communion. He tends to show up. So as you're ready, I want you to come forward, take the bread from Tampa, take the cup from Sam, and then just circle back around through that part. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for receptivity. Each of us has that top of our prayer list, that thing that hurts, the thing that we're struggling with. Your son gave us his absolutely perfect blood that never stops working. And Lord, that pain might be pretty deep down in the iceberg. We don't fully understand it. Maybe we can't even put it into words. We just ask, Lord, that your son's blood would find its way to that place and start the work of healing. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.
receptivity to a blessing. Tamara's going to bless us just a moment here. And just to receive all of the graciousness of God. His love endures forever, we say. And the Hebrew word for that is chesed, which is that sticky love that just is there all the time and always available. So we're going to pray to receive that. So just whatever you need to do to receive that, if that's opening up your hands, if that's closing your eyes, whatever it is, let's receive all the grace that God has for us. Father God, we're just so thankful for this day that we can come together and worship you. We can be as a family, that we can break bread together. And Lord, as we remember what you've done on the cross for us, let your lifeblood flow through us. Let your Holy Spirit flow through us. Help us to beware of the deeper things in the spirit world. Let us be more aware, Lord, of your workings in our life. Let us be more aware of the Holy Spirit's work in this world. And Lord, I just bless each person here today with strength, with hope, with grace and with love. Be with each of, each of us, Lord, as we leave this place today and go out into the world. Help us to be lights. Help us to be kingdom makers. Spreading your word, spreading your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Have a fantastic week, everyone, and we will see you back here next week. Oh.